Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. So go on a run, buy a candle from Wideman Wicks Co., not because this is a sponsored ad, but just because they're amazing. Do whatever you need to do and enjoy today's episode. Today, we are continuing our conversation with Kim White on how to care well for others. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you should definitely go back and check out that conversation so that you don't miss anything. But we are so excited for you to hear the rest of Kim's incredible wisdom. So let's get into it. Uh, so switching gears a little bit from kind of this piece of like, you know, our our identities, we care for people, our Um, things that we hang on to and things that we can do kind of in our own hearts Um, and kind of practically speaking about you know how do we talk about people with difficult things and something that I sometimes struggle with and I I know other people definitely I've heard people say this before um, is that sometimes it's really awkward and hard to talk about the things that people are going through like I remember when I was doing um, suicide intervention training and they said you know you need to ask that person are you having suicidal thoughts And I remember feeling mortified, like, you want me to ask someone if that's what they're thinking? And I couldn't believe it. And I think that sometimes it it feels wrong. And maybe this is, you know, my my bias and how I was raised or whatever. But, you know, it feels really hard to to ask those things like, are you feeling depressed? Or, you know, maybe you should go like asking those questions. And I'm always reminded of a time that was really growing for me, which was I had a friend whose mother had passed away in the fall. And then I was over there for a few days at New Year's and she had been at school for most of that time. And so when she came home from school, her mom wasn't there. And that was the first time she'd experienced that. And I remember just asking her about that. And I just said, you know, is it weird for you now? Like, does it hit in a new way that you've come home now and mom's not here as opposed to when you're at school and she was never there anyway. And she just looked at me and she was like, no one ever talks about my mom to me. She was like, you know, like, I think you're the first person that has said my mom's name to me. Like, everyone just keeps acting like she doesn't exist because they're, I don't know, like afraid to, to hurt my feelings or bring it up. And I remember being like, I didn't think much of it at the time. I was just asking a question, but then realizing that, you know, we're sometimes so afraid to ask those awkward things or those hard things because we think that we're maybe going to hurt someone or maybe it just feels awkward like it just is awkward to know how to and all of those things so um can you just talk about some ways about how to navigate that about how to actually like ask the questions that need to be asked or maybe to talk about the things that are really hard to talk about Mm -hmm. yeah we would never hesitate to ask someone how their birthday celebration was over the weekend because that's an exciting thing but when it comes to things that the emotions might be uncomfortable emotions we're like, mm, I don't know if we'll go. I want to go there. Um, and I mean, I'm a therapist and I have to go there with people all the time. But when I am not sitting in a counseling chair and I'm just with someone, there are times that I'm like, should I ask this question? Should I not? Um, and that might come from my place where I'm like, I don't want them to think I'm being like a therapist with them. But I think it's oftentimes because I'm like, am I am I ready for the the emotion that might show up? And And I think being afraid of asking the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing has kept us from asking the right thing and saying the right thing. Sometimes I think not saying anything has actually been the wrong thing all along. Um, 
And yeah, and I think of your friend and that story and that story is so real for so many people when there's been a passing of a loved one. And it's like people have been petrified to say their name and that person no longer exists, um, which is really just so sad. It actually is almost like a second death because their family used to talk about them all the time. And there was an emotional thing where it wasn't weird to say, oh, how's so-and-so doing? Um, but then after the passing, it's like, well, I don't want to bring it up because I don't want them to feel sad. Well, they feel sad. Whether or not you bring it up, they're feeling sad. And sometimes when you bring it up and someone is feeling sad, they might start to cry. But it's not because you've brought it up, but it's actually because they probably don't have to hold it all together in that moment, right? And a lot of times when people are feeling heavy things, we put on this face, we're like, I'm okay. I don't have to like, I don't have to talk about it. I'll just, I'll or I can't talk about it. Just pretend, 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 right? But then in reality, they're feeling overwhelmed inside and they feel that sadness. And then somebody asks, and it's almost like this, you know, when you like let loose a balloon that hasn't been tied shut, it's like this like freeing moment where they're like, I can just let it all out right now. Cause I have somebody who's going to listen to me. Um, and if we ever ask questions and someone just loses it emotionally, like becomes really sad I want you to know that most likely you're a safe place for that person because safety is the first thing that's required before being able to process emotions. And so knowing that you're a safe place, if someone starts crying with you, it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. It most likely means that you've done something right. Um, and, and being okay with that, being okay with tears. You know, I, I think in our society, we've really gone against crying. Um, I love how in Italian culture, and it's not as much anymore, but it used to be that if there was this like, if a mother lost a child or a husband, like she would wear black for like almost a year. And it would be this outward symbol of mourning. And, you know, even in the time when Jesus lived, like people were professional mourners. Like they would come and wail to like show that this person meant so much, right? And it's almost like every tear that we cry is a tribute to how important that person is. And so, yeah, so being afraid to ask the wrong question is legitimate. Um, and you can even say, if this question, you know, if this question is hard, like we don't have to talk about it, but I want to just know, how are you doing? How's, how's it going? The person can say, I don't want to talk about that. And that's fine. And you haven't done anything wrong. But most likely what they're going to say is, thank you for asking those hard questions. Even with suicide, you know, I was chuckling as you talked about that, because it is a weird thing. You know, you're like, I'm not going to ask someone if they have suicidal thoughts, because if they don't, then they might be like, should I? Could I? What would that look like? Right? We don't want to give them suicidal thoughts. But you're not going to give someone suicidal thoughts. So they're going to either already have them or not have thought about them. Um, you know, and I've been in some really casual situations where I'm with a group of people and someone says something like, you know, I don't really matter anyways. And then I'll look over them and go, oh, like, do you ever think about dying? And they're like, oh, yeah, I think about dying. I'm like, like killing yourself? And they look around and they're like, man, we're in a really public arena. Not like anyone else is listening, but I'm having it in a really casual way. Not like, okay, let's sit down. Have you ever thought about killing yourself? But I'm like, oh, so like, have you ever thought about killing yourself? And then they might look at me and they're like, mm, maybe. I'm like, how would you do it? And they're like, I don't know. And then in my mind, I've now made a mental note. Okay, 
So they're a teenager, they have suicide, they have thought about like, oh, what would it be like to die, right? And sometimes I, what I say to kids is like, so is it more like if you didn't wake up in the morning, you'd be okay? Or if you didn't wake up in the morning, you'd find a way to make sure you didn't live the rest of the day. And you're like, oh no, like if I just went to sleep and never woke up, like that would be fine. And I'm like, okay, that's a little different, right? And so, and so I've become more comfortable with asking the questions um, because they're just things that I'm, I'm used to. But again, if somebody's feeling that way, somebody asking about it isn't going to petrify them. It's more so going to be like, maybe people would care if I wasn't here anymore. Like maybe people do want to hear. And if somebody says, yeah, I do think about suicidal thoughts. I mean, my second thought, my second question always is, so how would you do it? Or do you have a plan? Because then that's even more of like a risk. And then if they have a plan, I go to, do you know when you would do it? And then if they have a date, then it's like, okay, I need to get this person somewhere safe ASAP. Um, but if somebody is saying, yes, I have suicidal thoughts, again, it's not like we need to say, oh my gosh, you need to go see a therapist right now. Like, let's go, we're going to go. But it's, hey, would you be willing to, like, I think that it's really important to talk to someone about this. And I would love to be a resource, but honestly, like, I think you deserve someone who really knows how to help you because that's, you're so valuable. And I don't want to, you know, I don't, I, I don't have the tools that you deserve. Right. And so would you be okay with us calling someone together and maybe going to the first session together, um, you know, and then setting that up with them would be helpful because yeah, for some reason in our society, the hard things just aren't things we want to talk about. You know, it's almost like, should I bring it up? Can I bring it up? I don't want to burden people or overwhelm them. But if we sat in a group and all wrote down like our deepest, darkest fears or secrets or whatever, and then read them out loud anonymously, the amount of overlap that would exist would be mind boggling. Like people would be like, oh my gosh, that person feels the same way. That person feels the same way. And sometimes I think that the enemy just wants us to live in fear of saying the wrong things or in fear of people freaking out and like sending us to the loony bin. That's what clients will say. I'm going to tell you something, but you're going to send me to the loony bin. And I think, try me. Like, honestly, I've never sent anyone to a loony bin. I don't even know what a loony bin is. But, you know, but it's this fear if people fully knew who I was, then they might not accept me. But if we ask those hard questions and then people give us honest answers and we're still sitting there saying, wow, thank you so much for sharing. That means a lot. And I'm so glad to be here for you. It begins to break down that lie of if people really knew what I felt or if people really knew what I was going through, they wouldn't care. And, and something that I think is really important um, in our desire to be compassionate and empathetic, we sometimes say to someone, oh my gosh, I fully understand how you feel. or I totally get what you're going through. I went through something a lot like that. Um, and I never encourage anyone to use those words. Because we don't totally get what someone is going through. And we could never fully understand what they're experiencing. Because colors, like, we don't even see colors in the same way. The way that your eye perceives the same exact piece of artwork as mine is drastically different, especially you, Ainsley, because you're an artist. And I have no understanding of colors at all, right? And so, I mean, I have a brother-in-law who can look at a color and tell me what it is. And I'm like, I just see white. And he's like, what? There's green in it. And I'm like in white. There's no green in that white. And he's like, don't you see it? I'm like, no, I don't. Right. And so if I can't even look at a wall and see the exact same color as my, my brother-in-law, then how can I look at a situation and experience exact same thing? Like we just can't. But 
I also don't want us to say, well, I could never understand what that person's going through, so I'm not going to talk to them about it. What we can say is, you know what, I don't fully understand and I don't know if I ever could, but can you invite me in? Can you tell me more about it? Can you teach me about your experiences so that I can learn more? Maybe I might not ever become a professional or fully understanding of what you're going through, but can you invite me along so I can learn more and better understand to a point that maybe you feel heard in a, in a way that you don't right now? And so when we're walking with someone, let's not just say, I totally get what you're going through and I've been there and I've experienced the same thing because we don't totally get it because we can't even see the same color on a wall. But also let's not let that defer, the, like keep us from coming closer and wanting to pursue knowing that person more, but let it be a place of inviting in and them being the expert on who they are and you being the learner versus you being the expert and trying to teach them what they need to know. Can you touch on... I'm going to call them tough love conversations because they're, those are also hard conversations, right? How do we balance acceptance and validation with action and accountability? Yes. Tough love conversations, which are a part of the self-awareness piece. Like we can't just avoid them. Um, we don't want just, you know, to make everyone feel good about themselves because Sometimes there are hard things. And if we just pamper each other and make each other feel good about ourselves, each other, you know, then there's going to be a day where something's going to let them down and they're going to feel like everyone's just been lying to them. You know, it's almost like when you have food in your teeth and you're out at a meal and no one wants to hurt your feelings by telling you a food in your teeth, but then you go about all day giving everyone your like, Colgate smile, but yet have food in your teeth still. When you get home at the end of the day, you're not like, wow, my friends were so kind by not telling me. You're like, are you kidding me? I've had food in my teeth all day and I know you saw it, right? You're like furious with them. And they're like, well, I just didn't want to tell you. Oh, well, tell me because it would have saved me a lot of trouble in the long run. Right now, you know, I saw someone and took a picture with someone and now I have food in my teeth and I went to a job interview and I had food in my teeth. And, you know, like it's it's not actually as reassuring to just pretend and cover it up as we think it is. And so the tough love conversations, truthfully, we need to have safety. Right. There needs to be a sense of this person knows I care about them and I value them. And Crucial Conversations is a really incredible book. And if you've never read Crucial Conversations, read it. It's actually a required reading for one of my courses um, because it's such an important book. And Patterson in it talks about how to make sure we create safety and maintain it. And there are things that let us know when people become aggressive or defensive, we know safety has gone out the window. And so sometimes in tough love conversations, we need to keep going back and saying, you know, like, okay. I, I hear that you're getting defensive and I hear that there's anger. And so I just, I'm going to take a step back and, and kind of bringing it, slowing it down. Some things I, I recommend to my husband sometimes, you know, it's the Christian thing to do when you're in a tough conversation and things are getting heated saying, you know what? I feel like this is really difficult. Can we take a moment to pray? And then it slows it down and refocuses it back on God. And it can actually cause a sense of like peace and safety to be reestablished. And then when you guys say, amen, you know, it's like, okay, so where were we again? Like, what are you hearing? What am I hearing? But we need to continually make sure that safety is there because when people feel like they're not safe, what happens is we go into our fight, flight, or freeze mode, and we're not thinking in our rational brain, right? When we feel unsafe and we go into our like crisis response mode, our frontal cortex shuts down and 
our frontal cortex isn't fully developed until we're in our mid twenties. It actually develops later for men than it does for women. And so really what happens is we become teenagers. We become, we like operate with a teenage mind and try to think of teenagers having logical, like really great conversations is just kind of funny because they're so emotional, right? When we're teenagers, our brain, our, what they say is our gas pedal is fully operated, but we have no brakes, right? Like our brakes don't kick in until our frontal cortex is fully developed. And so when we go into a conversation and it's a tough love conversation and someone begins to get defensive and feel overwhelmed and anxiety begins to get higher and their cortisol levels rise and their heartbeat starts going, what happens is their gas pedal becomes fully functioning, but their brakes go out of commission, right? And so they can't slow down. And so that's where we get these heated conversations that when we walk away, both parties feel exhausted or frustrated or overwhelmed. And we're like, I was just trying to help them out. And they just became this monster. Well, somewhere along the way, safety was lost and we need to get back to that safety and it takes time. And it's really frustrating to take time. Like patience is not easy. We want to, oftentimes we want a quick fix. And what one of my um, discipleship coaches once said to me is she said, Kimberly, we can't expect people to jump to a place that we took a long time. Like we took baby steps to get to. And when we're walking with someone else and we're having those tough love conversations, sometimes we're, we're bringing up are things that we ourselves have seen in ourselves that we've walked through, but we're wanting that person to get on board to where we are, but it's actually taken us time to get there. And so we need to be patient and continue to develop safety and maybe just start with small steps along the way where that person feels safe, they feel validated, they see, feel seen, and that we can also then have tough love in that. Because again, we don't want to walk around with food in our teeth all day. We want people to have honest conversations with us, but we also don't want it to be like we're sitting at a table and then our friend yells across the table, oh my gosh, you have food in your teeth. And the whole restaurant looks at us, right? So there's ways to have those conversations which are gonna be helpful. Um, and then there are ways to have them that aren't. And honestly, honestly, the first, one of the first steps in communicating is embracing awkwardness. And so sometimes it's just realizing that the next 15 minutes might be really awkward, but that's okay. Awkward doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's uncomfortable and uncomfortable isn't bad. It just means that it's not normal. And in time, tough conversations might become more comfortable and less awkward, but most of the time they're always going to be awkward. And so it's okay. Like just embrace the awkwardness, walk in with grace and compassion, humility, right? Something my husband often has said to me is, you know, Kimberly, in this tough conversation, if anyone walks away feeling stepped on, make it be you, not the person you're talking to, right? And so like, if anyone's going to feel like they just got walked all over, allowing it to be like, okay, this isn't about me making my point or defending myself. It really is me wanting to help this person move forward. And if they're becoming defensive and aggressive, that's not going to be helpful for them. So I need to approach it in a different way. And so, yeah, just being embracing the awkwardness, giving space for the uncomfortable and slowing things down. And when all else fails, say, hey, this sounds like a really difficult moment. Let's pray. I think that's such a cool tip just to be able to like stop and slow things down uh, as you're doing it, because it's definitely when you're in the moment and like the heatedness of things, it's definitely hard to pause, right? Because you're just thinking about all the things you want to say and all the, you know, uh, that's really good. And, and also the food in your teeth. I love that example. I've never really thought about it the same way. Yeah. A funny thing, because it, even though we all know that scenario, it still feels awkward. And so you think of even just having to embrace the awkward of even more awkward conversations than just you have spinach in your teeth. So I think that's really good. 
coming to like the season that we're in right now of COVID and in Ontario, we're in, you know, full lockdown still right now. And we started off the new year in lockdown, like right off the bat, like happy new year, everybody. Uh, let's all sit at home. And, you know, during this season of huge isolation, you know, grief and loneliness, they're just so prevalent in everybody and everyone's experiencing it in some way. Um, but some people are really experiencing it pretty deeply. What would you say to those of us who are maybe in that place right now? Well, I would say you're in good company, first of all, because a lot of us are there. Um, so welcome, grab a chair, blanket, no, you're not alone, um, even though it feels like that. Um, a couple of podcasts ago, you had Kendra Bacher on, and I know she talked about 3DM a bit, and so I will bring up 3DM again and Mike Breen. Um, and Mike Breen has, he developed this thing called the landscape of life, and it talks about eruptions, erosions, excavation, uh, and just like these different seasons in your life in looking at them all. And one of them is erosion. Erosion is like when everything feels like it's just like eroding away. Like it's like another thing and another thing. And I feel like 2020 has been a year of erosion. And I know we're in 2021 now, but it hasn't ended, right? And and the clock struck midnight. And I think kind of all of us were as disappointed as maybe the Y2K people were when the clock struck midnight on New Year's Eve 20. 2000 and nothing changed either. It's like, oh man, the world's still the same and we're still struggling. But when Mike Breen talks about his erosion moments, he says in his one of his books, and this is like a really profound thing that struck me deeply during this season. He says, God, do not let me get out of this moment until I've discovered the gold at the bottom of the erosion. And sometimes almost all the time when I go through difficult moments, my prayer is God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here, right? Like send a rope, get me out of here, whatever it would be. But after I read that part by Mike Breen and there is in, in his illustration of the landscape of life at the bottom, there is this gold nugget. I've realized that maybe there have been things like this season where I want out ASAP because I don't wanna suffer or I don't wanna go through difficult times. And so I want out, I want out, I want out. But then if I get out quicker than, you know, God intended, or I, I, I take a shortcut out or whatever it would be, I might be missing the gold at the bottom of this experience. And there's a lot of things that we can learn through this season and the grief and the loneliness, and we're having to sit with them. And, and again, if we're just trying to get out of all of these things, we're going to miss what God could be teaching us. And there are gold nuggets throughout this experience that, that God can show us, but we need to sit still long enough and not, I mean, I'm not a sit still kind of person. Like I am a like mover and a shaker, like go, 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 go. And so I don't like difficult seasons because they should end quickly. And, um, and like in my husband and my life are this year, even in, outside of 2020, there's just been lots of things that I really was wanting answers for. And at the beginning of every year, I write a letter to myself for the end of next year. And so like, you know, the other day I wrote a letter to myself that'll open on December 31st, 2021 that I'll read. And it'll say like, Kimberly, you know, like, this is what you've experienced in this year. And these were some of your fears. How did it turn out? And I, I just this morning I was saying to Carter, I was like, if I, like, and I actually didn't write a letter to myself in 2020, which seems so 2020-ish, even though 
I should have done it in January. If I had written a letter to myself at the beginning of 2020, I was like, I would have opened it and been like, nothing has changed. I'm in the same situation. I was like, I would have been really frustrated. And it's been this whole year. And so it brings me back to this place where I'm like, God, what is the golden nugget? What do you want to teach me in this moment? Do not let me out of this season without me learning those lessons, because I don't want to have to go through a similar season in the future where you're trying to teach me the same things you try to teach me in this one. And my focus was not on what you were doing and what you were saying, but it was on how do I get out of this? How do I escape this? How do I get to the next place? Right. And so really when we're in a season of grief and loneliness, and there are so many emotions to be felt, what I would say is don't run from it. Give yourself permission to sit in it and say, God, what are you showing me in this moment? How could there be gold in the midst of this? I feel like I am in a mud pit and there could be no gold, but maybe, maybe there is something beautiful within this. Um, And so that's really like my encouragement. And that's something that I've been doing myself is, okay, God, I want to be through this season, but I don't want to get through it without you teaching me what it is or without you revealing the gold that you have for me. So that when I go to the next season, I have that gold with me that I can carry on. Um, and I don't have to come back to this season again to re-dig up the gold that I met. As you're talking, it reminds me of a sermon that Tim Keller um, or a sermon by Tim Keller called How to Deal with Dark Times. And he goes through Psalms uh, I want to say 88, but I could be wrong on that. Um, that most Psalms end on kind of, you know, like our hope is in the Lord, like kind of ending on a bright note, whereas this piece of scripture does not. And so he has four main points that are so well done. But his last point is that dark times are the best place to learn about God's grace and the beauty that of that refinement process in us that as we experience dark times and we actually hold on to Jesus, the, the endurance that is, is built in us, the character that is further developed, all those things. Um, and I'm just amazed by God's grace in all of that, that yeah, as we ask him that, you know, I want the gold nuggets in here that he actually does walk with us in that, in that wrestling. And it's okay to wrestle with those things. Something that um, in this season, God has shown me was actually through the book of Job. And it's really redefined the way that I view suffering. Um, Because oftentimes when we're going through difficult seasons, I think we often feel like it's because of errors in our life or sinfulness or disobedience, or we deserve this for some reason and God's punishing us. But I'm amazed by the story of Job because the reason that Job was suffering was not because of his unrighteousness, but because he was righteous. Mm. And, and I've asked myself through this season, like, God, am I going through difficult times? Not because you're punishing me, but because you're allowing my, my faith in you to be exemplified. You're using my commitment to you, right? Like if the enemy said to God, Hey, well, look at Kimberly White, like she loves you, but if her life wasn't as lovely as it is, if you hadn't blessed her in all those ways, then she wouldn't worship you. Like if the enemy said that to God and God said, okay, like actually she would. And, and God allowed the enemy to put that to the test. Would I stand the test or would I say, you know what, God, 
I've always been faithful to you. How could you let me suffer? But Job stands the test, right? And, and it's the sense of it's not our lack of righteousness that brought about, or lack of Job's righteousness that brought about that suffering. It was because he was righteous and God believed in him and believed that he was faithful and would be to the end, that he went through difficult things. And so in this season, sometimes I think we think this must be punishment or this must be God's, you know, divine judgment. But really, what if it's the sense of God saying, you know what, I know my church can thrive or I know those who follow me that love me can get through this. And so even though it's going to be hard and even though they're going to suffer, I know that they'll be faithful to the end because they love me, not because of their circumstances, but because of who I am and, and, and that'll come out. And so that changes the way that you view those dark times, because it's not like God saying, Hey, you're in darkness because you've done wrong, which I think sometimes is what we feel like. We're like, where did I mess up? Where's my sin? Like, let me just excavate until I figure out where my sins are in my life. And then I'll apologize for them. And then this will all be over. Um, But it actually could be that God is saying, I, I know that you're faithful and you'll be faithful through this because you love me and you have been devoted to me and you will be, you are a faithful servant. And so even in this, I can use you to be my light. And so those pieces of just reframing what suffering means and why we suffer and how those struggles and how God can use them have really been helpful to me during this season. Preach. Amen. (laughs) As a mental health professional, what are some tips that you have for people as we continue in this year in lockdown in isolation? What are some practical things that you would encourage people to do? Reach out for support. Text your friend, let them know you're struggling. Call someone, let them know it's been a hard day. Be upfront about that. Because I mean, first of all, I think all of us unfortunately, are overwhelmed and burdened during this season. And so because of that, a lot less of us are saying, hey, how can I help you? Because we're also struggling, right? But if a friend reaches out and says, hey, I'm having a hard time, you're not going to say, well, so am I, good luck. You're going to say, oh, okay, let's chat about it. But we might not be as quick to reach out to people during this season because we're having a difficult time. And then if we're having a hard time and nobody reaches out, it almost like, makes it even worse because we're like, no one's reaching out to me. I must not be that important. Or it is that you're important. It's just that nobody knows you're having a hard time, right? And so reaching out, talking to people saying, hey, I'm going through, it's been a rough day or those pieces is really important um, because I think that a lot of people who are really good at doing that just don't do it right now because everything's overwhelming. Like I think of moms who are at home with like a million kids trying to school them and do work and all of those things. Like if they don't have time to text me and say, Hey, Kimberly, how's it going? You know, like some of my best friends are moms and, and they're going through this time. And if I'm like, man, they haven't reached out to me in a while, I might feel offended. Right. But you know, it's actually my thought. That's the problem, not the situation, because I highly doubt that any of those friends don't care about me. If I were to call them up, they might say, you know what, I'm going to call you tonight when my husband's home, because right now I have, you know, two kids running around screaming, like throwing stuff at each other. But I promise you, I'm going to give you a call. Or they might say, I'm putting you on speakerphone. It's chaos. You can brace it, but chat away and know that maybe you're going to hear toilets flush in the middle of it or something because my kid had to pee and I had to take him to the washroom, whatever it would be like, welcome to my chaos. But it, if my thought is, 
nobody cares, then it's going to impact the way that I respond. So the situation is the same for all of us, but the way we're processing and thinking about it's going to differ. And so I would challenge you to reach out to people. If you feel like no one cares, give them a call. Say, hey, I feel like no one cares lately. And I realize I also haven't reached out to people. Find resources. There are tons of resources online. Counselors are still working from home often, but they're still working. So you can still reach out to counselors. Um, if you go to a local church, contact your church. They might even help pay for a couple of first sessions for, for counseling. And so you can access that resource. Um, but yeah, talking to people, engaging with people, and then trying to reach out is really going to be important because all of us are in the same situation. We're responding differently. It looks differently. Yes. But the way that we're processing and thinking about it could differ. And so reaching out to other people and saying, hey, I need help kind of waving that white flag instead of waiting for other people to come by and say, hey, do you need help? Um, could be really helpful because yeah, it is a season and I give you permission to be struggling. And so finding people to talk to, finding resources to reach out to, finding safe places is important. And then not putting shoulds on ourselves. Like I should have done this or I should be doing that or I should accomplish this or should, 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 should. Like shoulds just give us grief and shame. I could have accomplished that and I could have done this and I could have done that, right? But again, giving ourselves permission to acknowledge we are in a global pandemic. Our brains are probably working off of higher levels of cortisol than they normally are. Um, and so there are going to be more stress responses than we're normally used to. And so just giving ourselves some grace and permission to not be um, totally on it all the time, but have days when maybe we just take a day off, even though it's a Wednesday, treat it like it's a Saturday, things like that, where we're just more gracious to ourselves. That is, yeah, some really good tips. I was just talking with someone, uh, a student actually the other day who was saying, and I, and she basically felt like, you know, she'd reached out and then, you know, it was really hard to put herself in that that spot where she said, you know, I'm not doing so well, or I feel disconnected or whatever. And, you know, I said to her, um, you know, it's sometimes really hard to reach out when you're like for your own help, when you're normally the one who reaches out to help other people. You know, if you're the type of person who, you know, is naturally someone who wants to help and wants to be there and give advice or to sit there with your friend who's struggling that if you're used to playing that role it's really hard to to then step into the role of saying actually I'm reaching out to you because I need help um and to know how to do that and I think especially right now because it just feels weird to have to reach out in the way of a text or phone call or things like that but I think yeah, like encouraging people to say like, it is actually okay to reach out to people, which I will admit, I'm, I'm like the worst at that sometimes of saying, you know, I'm not doing so well, because I feel like I do that. And then I just feel awkward, because I'm like, uh, I don't know if I have that much to say. I just wanted you to know that I had a hard day. And can you pray for me? Or can I talk to you about it? Um, and I think societally, we already have some of those things of like, you know, even that like, uh, I hear teens say, you know, like, oh, I can't text back too fast because they'll think I'm, I'm, you know, I care too much, or even just those little mentalities of saying, you know, we never want to be like too needy, and and just saying that, you know, like those are lies. Like it's absolutely okay to be needy because we're humans with needs, and obviously we've talked about boundaries and different things like that. But I think learning to to move past and work through the feeling of. I can't reach out because I'm putting too much in that person or because it's awkward or because I might not know what to say. Um, 
because it's hard. And I think that for me, that's a huge learning process um, in this time. And it takes so much intentionality now because it doesn't just come up. You know, I don't just see Jen at work and say, you know, she notices that I'm quiet or this or that and can say, hey, like, are you okay? Because no one's going to see it. You know, it's just my dog. And unfortunately, my dog, as much as I love her, she's not going to ask me if I'm feeling grumpy today, if something's really going on, because, you know, you just don't pick up on those things. And she can't talk to me, unfortunately. So uh, I think those are some really good points. And I think that, yeah, being able to even if you need to reach out to external resources other than your friends, too, and saying that those resources are out there for people to to hang on to. So uh, one more question just to kind of maybe get a little bit more about you, which is what do you know about God that you didn't before you entered this profession? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people who enter the helping profession want to save the world, which is very noble, um, but impossible. And so we start off with all of this like exuberance and excitement and we have all this energy and then we have our first client and we can't save their world and I'm like and it's this realization of if I can't save this one person how am I going to save the whole entire world right but we've reached the reality of we are not the world's saviors and so one thing I've really learned is that I am doing this work with Jesus not for Jesus I'm journeying with Jesus. I'm loving people with Jesus, but I'm not doing it for him because then it's me trying to do what Jesus is only capable of doing. But if I'm doing it with him, when where I can't meet the criteria or where I don't have the resources, I can say, hey, you know what, Jesus, I'm doing this with you and you do have those resources, right? It's the same way when you're on a team and you can't be everything to everyone or do every assignment, you can't lean on your teammates, right? And so working with Jesus means that when I, my weaknesses show up or when I can't go all the way or I can't help the person in the way that I would want to, I can say, oh, right, but I'm doing this with Jesus. I'm not alone. And it's not like I tag Jesus in when I, you know, oh, Jesus, I've done everything I can do. So I'll tag you in now and you try, right? And it's not like that, but it's a sense of I'm, I'm not alone in this work. I'm working with Jesus. But when we approach it as we're doing this for Jesus, we, it's more of a sense of if we mess up, then we maybe we're letting Jesus down, right? Like if I'm doing something for my boss and I don't do it as well as my boss would like, I feel like I've let my boss down. But if I'm doing something with my boss and working on it together, then when I'm not able to do something, my boss is there to pick up the slacker. And it's this relational piece. It's not like a, you need to do this. And if you miss, and then I have to go to my boss and be like, oh, I'm so sorry, I messed up. Right. And so with Jesus, it's the same thing. It's not like I'm failing when I can't make it, when I can't do everything that I want to do, but it's Jesus is there alongside me and he's working with me and he's working with those, um, that I'm working with. And I mean, any client I come across or any person I come across, God has known their story long before I even knew their name. And so it's not me stepping in to save the day, but it's actually God using me as a part of the journey that that person's on of the work that he's doing in their life. Um, and so that piece has been really important. And, and recently I've been reading a book by E.M. Bounds on prayer. And one thing he says that's really stood out even in this regards is um, he talked about how those who want to be immortal people need to be people of prayer because those who are people of prayer will live on, will be immortal through their prayers. 
And basically he's saying that God is eternal. He is immortal. There is no end to God. And he, when we pray, God hears those prayers and he carries them with them. And so when I pray for my clients or I pray for a youth that I'm walking with, or if CAS calls us, uh, we're in this fostering to adopt process. And if CAS calls us and gives us this name of a child and then gives us their PAPR is what CAS calls it with their like story. And my husband and I pray for that child. And then we never meet that child. Our prayers are eternal, right? They're they live on with the eternal God. And so what I'm praying today, maybe I won't see the outcome of it today, but there's no, there's no limitation of when God can use that prayer because they're all going on for eternity. And so the prayers that I'm praying for people today that I'm working with, I might not meet them ever again, but then I can't know if God 30 years from now does something with my prayers that I prayed. And so that's what it means to be working with Jesus, that I have his eternal presence that's not only with me, but with those that I'm journeying with. And so when I reach my limitations or when that relationship ends or when things shift and that person's no longer in my life, since I was doing this with Jesus, I know that they're not alone now. They're still with Jesus and that Jesus has other people he's doing ministry with and that person can be supported by them. And that anything that I've prayed or any of my cares go on for all eternity with God. And so there's no limitation to what God can do. And so when, yeah, so when I don't see it in the here and now, when I don't see a change today, which I want change today, um, which if I really wanted that, I should have painted houses because then it would have been a change at the end of the day. But when you are in the counseling profession, you might never see, like when you work with people, you might never see the fruits of your labor. Um, but when we are working with God, then there's no end to what God can do with our faithfulness in the here and now. He can use that faithfulness 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, and maybe even just today, which I would really like, but don't always see. Wow. That's like a whole mindset shift, right? Super slight, but incredible impact in the way that you see our position and the way that God calls us to partner with him. Thank you so much for that. That's super encouraging. Even for today, as we're like working on screens all day, it's not for Jesus, it's with him. And it takes the, it's like what Kevin says. Kevin often talks about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man and how this partnership is, um, yeah, both and. So thank you so much, Kim, for, for sharing that and for all of your wisdom. This time has been so good. I'm soaking it up. Um, to end, our very last question that we ask all of our guests is, what is the best piece of advice that you have been given? I was not given this advice, but I read it somewhere. Um, and I don't even know if Nora Roberts would know. It's more of a tweet about what Nora Roberts said, but it's this thing, this tweet about what Nora Roberts said that's really just been great advice that I've carried with me. Um, and that is, she says, in life, it's important to know what balls you're juggling that are glass and which ones are plastic, because we're all juggling these different things in life. And if we drop the glass ones, they're going to shatter. But if we drop the plastic ones, they're just going to bounce. And so there are things that we're juggling. And if we can realize which ones are glass and we need to keep juggling so they don't shatter and which ones are plastic that we can let them fall, then we're not going to be 
we're not going to have to juggle everything all at once. Right. And, and I just really loved that because as a counselor and as a, um, as a professor and as a pastor's wife and, you know, and as an aunt and, and as a friend, there's so many things that are going on at times, but there are some things that are just plastic. And if I don't get that done today, it's not going to impact anyone, but some things are glass. And if I don't show up in that situation or I don't show up for that person, then that's going to be something that actually is going to have repercussions to follow. And so just thinking through, okay, what are the glass balls that I'm juggling and which one are the plastic ones? And in which ones is it okay to let go every once in a while? That is so good. I saw it on your Instagram story when you shared it the other day and I saved it because I thought it was so good. I mean, like what a great picture. Um, I love that. So thank you for sharing with that with us. Um, and just thank you so much for being here. This conversation has been so good. Like even just, you know, aside from the podcast for me personally, like I just feel, um, yeah, like I have really good things to take away and, and just encouraged and reminded of things. And uh, I'm just so thankful for the unique position that you you hold um, as, you know, a leader and a wife and a therapist and a friend and, you know, so many things. And I just appreciate you so much. Um, I just love how thoughtful and intentional you are. And, uh, you know, even as you said, you're reading a book on prayer and, you know, relearning prayer and stuff. And I think, man, Kimberly is so good at praying already. And she already encourages me in her, her prayer life already in the way that she does that so well. And, and so, yeah, I just, I think you're just so good at that. And really at the end of the day, just the way that you and Carter live and just are very bold in the way that you live for Jesus is, is, amazing. And so thank you for that. And thank you for being here. And yeah, I know I speak for Jenna myself that we're, we're very thankful for this conversation. Thanks for having me. It was a joy to share. And yeah, I hope it was helpful. It's humbling to think that other people think the things that go on my, in my head are connected to wisdom and scary at the same time, because then I need to make sure that I'm not speaking ludicrous things, but humbling to think, wow, people think what's in my head is wisdom. Yeah, so it's an honor. Wow, another amazing conversation. We hope that you enjoyed part two with Kimberly White. I know I was so appreciative of just all of the wisdom that she had to share as a professional and as a Jesus follower. And I hope that it can encourage you in the season that you are in right now. If you want to stay updated and keep up with all the episodes, which we release every Monday, you can follow us and subscribe on whichever podcast app that you're listening to, as well as follow us on Instagram at just work friends. And we're also going to have some links to some of the resources that Kim and other people have mentioned in past episodes so if you want to get access to some of those things and some quick links go follow us on instagram to find all those things and other than that we'll see you next monday